or the window of God's word is a great way to start as we look into it today to see what God has to say. I want to thank Josh and Aaron. Josh began to introduce this sermon about three or four weeks ago. I'm preaching today on Joshua 24 with a focus on Joshua 24, 14, and 15. And he's brought it up a few times in a very good way. And you'll hear Aaron, some of the things he said in Sunday school today, especially the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. Okay? Those are two real big points, and I just want to thank them for throwing those out there so people are already thinking about it. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you humbly as a church. We come before you humbly as believers wanting to understand your word. We are so thankful that you've given it to us. I love what Josh just said. Bring us through that window into your word. Help us to grasp what you have to say to us today and help me to probe it exactly the way you want it said. That is our desire. We are here to glorify you, not ourselves. We're here to hear your word, not anyone's opinion. Help me very much to do that and help us to understand this message you have for us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can turn to Joshua 24, and if you're using the Bibles under the chairs in front of you, you'll find that on page 198. And we'll go back and forth referring to it. I won't read it all at one time. We'll use it as we unpack it. I will start with Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, because they're the heart of what we're going to talk about. Um, it is our focus, and not just that, we'll also speak on the importance of sharing the Word of God with your family, your children, okay? Um, it reads, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today we will explore this statement. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What does it really mean? What, is, what, are, what all should we get out of that? Before we start, Remember, the Israelites, the people that came into Canaan, when they first got started and they were getting ready to come over, Moses charged them. We go back to Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 7 to begin to get the setting for what it is that they're supposed to be about. And Moses said, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you're going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You shall, uh, I'm sorry, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. 
Is all this stated in words that we can fully grasp today? Okay? You shall abide in God's word and teach them to your children and your children's children. Simple words that I think you've heard in this church quite a few times. You've been to Sunday school, you've heard a couple of us say them a lot of times. And that's okay. Um, because Joshua 24 is a message of covenant renewal for the Israelites, which is actually two messages. Joshua started in chapter 23. As he's coming to the end of his life, and it's time for him now to talk to the Israelites the way Moses talked to them as they were coming into Canaan. So Joshua 23, we'll look at just verse 6. It says, Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. Then we get to Joshua 24, where we're going to go look today. He's calling the leaders to renew their covenant. And he's going to, as we look at this, we're going to see three major areas that he talks about. He first calls them to seek and to know the Word of God, which is very applicable for us today. He calls them to choose to obey and serve the Lord. And then he calls them to serve the Lord exclusively. Those are three things we need to grasp, and we'll talk about them a lot more here. Um, and we just looked at this, and we'll apply it the way we saw in Deuteronomy 6, verses 2 and 7. How do we go about teaching this to our children? Because that's the other responsibility that comes with this. So this is about today being a believer, understanding the Word, how do I stay in it? How do I abide in this? How do I grow in such a way that I won't fall short? Okay. Well, we'll start with his call to remember God's works on behalf of Israel. And we, again, putting it into our words is to seek and know the Word of God. Now we'll look at Joshua 24, 1 through 13, if you'd like to read along. So Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. He summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country to, of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land. And I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Gergesites, 
the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, the, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. The two kings of the Amorites, it was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwelled in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, you hear all that, and some people may say, yeah, we know that. If you were an Israelite, you'd definitely be saying that. Why? But what is the call? The call is to continue to teach. So here we have Joshua giving the Scripture as it was given in those days by word of mouth, continuing to teach over and over and over again. You may have heard that in our lives today. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. And that's what he's doing. He's setting the stage here. He's reminding them of all the things God has done for them. How he's taken care of them up to this point. And it's really important. In fact, um, because there's question, you know, they, they, they've all had everything handed down by word of mouth. We're also reminded in Deuteronomy 31, 24 through 26, that Moses actually wrote everything down for them. It reads, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, he commanded the Levites to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it in by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, that it may be there as a witness against you. So contrary to what some people have said even to this day, Moses did write the Pentateuch, he did write everything down, and they had it. So in case they couldn't remember to pass it on correctly, they had something to help them to be able to pass on the Word of God. And we have that same thing as the point here. So Israel had the Word of God up to that point. And that's very important for us to remember. So Joshua is now gathering all of the leadership of Israel together. This is the end of his time in Israel. And they're getting ready to take a look at what's going on. So Shechem is the place where he spoke to the leadership. And Shechem is a place of great richness, if you will, for the Israel. Um, it has four major times, if you will. Two of those are times of commitment, two are times of shame. The times of commitment, Abraham came into the promised land and first camped at Shechem. And God appeared to him there and confirmed his promise. Abraham built an altar to him there, Genesis 12, 6 and 7. Jacob, when he came back to the promised land, he stopped at Shechem. He bought land at Shechem. He built an altar to God at Shechem. And at that place, he called it El Elohe Israel, God the God of Israel. That's in Genesis 33. So this place is a significant place in the history of Israel. And that might not be so significant as we look at today, because we don't have places maybe of that level of significance but there are places of significance in our life. One of those for us, not on this level, is where we all gather. So we want to keep that in perspective of how we're looking at this. But Joshua called the heads together. It's a pretty impressive group of people. It is a very representative of a very large group, and I'm guessing the rest of the group wasn't too far beyond them listening to what was going on. And they were in the conscious presence of God. That's all the setting, if you will, for how we get to this. And then he addresses the leadership. He speaks about what they knew about God's faithfulness, first to Israel's patriarchs. He speaks of Abraham, 
and Nahor, who were the sons of Terah, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, and how he brought Abraham into Canaan. Now, he brought him from across the river. This across the river, we're talking the Euphrates River, where they worship pagan gods and idols. It's significant to recognize Abraham, the first Jew, did not grow up a Hebrew. He grew up in a home that worshipped idols, in a land that worshipped idols. It was what God called him from that matters. Okay? So, in Joshua 24, 3, we read, Then I, meaning God, took your father Abraham from the other side of the river. So before God challenged Israel, he reminded them of his faithfulness, that where they were and where they were called from and to. These are important points as we walk into this. Then he speaks of God's faithfulness with respect to the Exodus. And most of us realize that's their escape from Egypt after they had been in, um, enslaved for 400 years. And none of us can grasp the totality of that. Our country is not even 300 years old, much less were we a people enslaved for 400 years. So I'm trying to help us really understand what he's saying and what these people are hearing, okay? So Joshua's reminding the Israelites what they had, who had brought them to Canaan, what they'd been given, the undeserved blessings that they were enjoying. Remember, it also said in there that he provided the food that they enjoyed but didn't plant, and he gave them the land for which they didn't labor. And he did it completely. Well, unstated here, we see Joshua as a member of the first generation of people to go into Canaan. And you got to kind of think this through a little bit. Um, he's a member of the generation that came out of Egypt. He's a member of the generation that was 20 or under, even though he probably was over and he's a special case. But there's a generation that came out of Egypt and they were under 20 years old, so they lived the entire time that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And all those people over 20 died because of their sin. And then there was a generation, the second generation, that is born and raised in this 40 years. And they're hearing all the things that, that the people who physically saw it knew about God, and they're actually seeing God's presence as they travel. And then there's a third generation that he's going to be talking to. They're the ones who have been born in Canaan for the 20 years that Joshua has been leading them. So as I talk about three generations, those are the three generations, okay? It's real significant and it's real important, okay? Now, the other thing about this as we look at it from our standpoint today, okay? How does it apply to us? We are modern-day believers, and we're called to abide in the Word of God. Not a lot different than what the Israelites were called to do, except that they physically saw Him in some cases, and they, had, they talked to people who physically saw Him. And I'm going to take a chance and say no one here has physically seen an emanation of God. But we got the Word of God, we know we're saved. In my mind's eye, I've seen lots of that. Now, in this too, as we're called to abide in the Word, um, we need to be reminded of the undeserved blessings that we enjoy right here and right now. 
trying to keep the comparison so it just stays nice and easy. We have the Word of God. We have salvation. They didn't have the same salvation we had, but they had God, they had His Word, and they had faith. Those that had it had faith, just like we have, the essence of salvation. So those are the things we want to take forward. We are reminded regularly of the great joy that we have as a result of that faith. And that great joy is our hope of eternity. And that brings us together with any other believer. That's real important. So we need to be aware of that responsibility. Uh, we need to not only be aware of, of, of the gift, but our responsibility to pass that gift on. And more specifically, as we've already seen today in Deuteronomy, which is applicable to us today. Remember, the Old Testament is applicable everywhere except where Jesus has said it's no longer applicable. He fulfilled the law. He was the ultimate sacrifice. So a lot of it goes away. But all the Old Testament's not gone. Deuteronomy 6, 2, and 7 are still there. Teach the Word of God to your children. It doesn't change. Okay, so we got that. Um, I want to add a point that I'm going to carry through this, how to, which helps us to look at that. How do we develop a habitual devotion to the Lord and to His Word? A word that I put some, some thoughts together this week and that word popped up and it's really standing out to me. So we're going to look again one more time at Deuteronomy 6, 2 and 7 so we don't forget them. It says, Fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. Well, it's pretty clear, I think, the responsibility that we have based on having the Word of God and who we're supposed to teach. Okay. Now, let's look closer at verses 14 and 15, which takes us to the second point that we're looking at today. Um, Joshua calls the Israelites to choose to covenant with. And I'll restate that as it strongly implies to obey and serve the Lord. Our covenant's slightly different, but it's still a covenant. But our covenant, if you will, because of our salvation, is to obey and serve God. Okay. Verses 14 and 15, one more time. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, here Joshua's providing a fatherly model for the Israelites, if you will. He's not saying that he supports anything wrong, and he's not against the idea that they would serve God, as some have concluded from some of this. But he provides this model for him and his family to serve God, not false gods or idols. I want to keep that really strong. He's calling others in Israel to stand in him in obedience to God and commit to obey and serve the Lord which is a major point. Recall that before they were to enter Israel, Moses did speak to them at length of the same thing, to obey him. And he laid out 
blessings and curses. If you read Deuteronomy, there's a section about this long that talks about the blessings if they obey God. But because he knew what they would do, there's a section about this long that talks about the curses that would come when they disobey God. And that's kind of strong and harsh. But that was, if nothing else, supposed to, quote, scare the bejeebers out of them. It doesn't seem to have done it. Let's leave it at that. I don't, I don't mean to be funny. That wasn't the point. But, but I think that's in good today terms. So. so it's 20 years later. We need to realize that the first generation in Canaan represents the leadership that coveted to obey back then. And their obedience was based on Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, which we'll go through one more time, it, which they all knew. Most of you know, but they could quote it at, at the drop of a hat, literally. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your might. And there really was no member, believing or unbelieving, of the Hebrew faith. I use faith loosely for that one. At that time, that could not quote that. And probably started at about three years old, seriously. It just It's amazing. And with that, you also got to go, this was no blind leap of faith either. These people had seen what God did. They knew Him. And it's a different way that we know Him, and we do know Him. Don't get the wrong message. But they knew Him by sight. Now, that's good and bad if you think about it. But this was a generation, this first generation, that were fairly committed to God. They really were. Um, and they, they cared as much as he cared for them, a little bit. It's hard to say that, but they did care some. But look at verse, we're going to walk through now 14 and 15 slowly. 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now apparently, there is a good number of idols and idol worshipers within that generation already in Canaan. Otherwise, there would have been no need for Joshua to say that. Something to think about. And a quick review of Israel's history is going to help us understand a little bit of that. You may or may not know this, but God may have contrasted His great work with the three waters or rivers, if you will, that the Hebrew nation came from or across. Joshua 2.24 shows that on the other side of the Euphrates, were the gods of Sumerian and Babylonian culture, which would represent the gods of their heritage, where Abraham and Terah came from. Okay? And Joshua 24, 5 through 7a shows that on the other side of the Red Sea were the gods of Egypt. That would be the gods of their inheritance or upbringing is the word I'm looking for because of where they were brought up. And finally, Joshua 24, 7b through 15 speaks to the gods of the Amorites. They cross the Jordan into Canaan, and they have the gods of the Amorites that represent the gods of the custom, the gods of where they live, if you will. Now, you think about that, it's also the gods of the present generation, the ones that are struggling there at the time, are probably worshiping. And it might be easy for us right now, sitting in here, to look at Israel and go, let's see, they should have avoided the gods of Sumerian, Babylonian, 
Egyptian and Amorite upbringing, don't you think? Their gods, their idols. It should be easy for them to see that. So my question then becomes, it might be a little harder for us. Who are the gods of our heritage, upbringing, and culture? They're there. They're idols. And, and if I don't want to go this far, because I don't know that this group of people fits that, but if I had a much bigger group of people who all claim to be Christians, then it was appropriate. We could make that statement. Put away your idols first. Sometimes in my family, it's not inappropriate to say, put your idols away. So I don't know where everybody else is, but that kind of strikes home a little bit. Then in verse 15, Joshua says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Okay. Seems like a pretty obvious choice here. I think where we're all sitting especially, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Well, Joshua gave a very strong exhortation to serve the Lord in verse 14. And now in 15, he, he calls him out. If it, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, because he goes on and says, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In other words, you got to make a choice. You don't get to not serve a Lord. Well, if they choose not to serve the Lord, they're responsible to choose whom they're going to serve. And, seriously, they might, to choose, they might choose to serve the gods of their heritage, as he mentioned, the gods which your father served on the other side of the river. Or they might choose to serve the gods of Canaan, the gods of custom, right there with the Amorites. Yet they have to make a choice. This is one of the big points today. Everyone serves some kind of God, whether it's the one true God or an idol. That was Joshua's point, saying that directly to the Israelites at the time. Everyone serves a God. You have to choose the one true God or the idol of your choice, whatever that might be. So our choice for the God we serve is made clear by the alternatives that we look at and what we choose. Because we all see alternatives. Some feel a life lived for the one true God isn't very realistic. That may not be these people in, I'm talking to. Don't get the wrong message. But there are those that feel that way. The other choices, though, I would say, are very much far worse. As Peter said in John 6, 68, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Don't take this as a wrong challenge, if you will. I see some faces looking kind of glum or solemn. My point I'm trying to make, this is what Joshua is saying to the Israelites because it's real. It's real for them. Now, if it's real for us, we need to hear it. I do want to say that. Again, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. This is the alternative that Joshua is offering to them right now. And they need to hear it. And hopefully some are. Now, his course is clear and sensible, concern, you know, assuming they do in fact choose the Lord. You know, the English version of that text is a future tense, meaning we will serve the Lord. But the Hebrew text is much richer. It's not only future, it also leads into the past. It's continuous, if you will. And it makes it right, even more right for Joshua, because what he's really saying is, I have served the Lord, 
and I'm going to continue to serve the Lord. And he can say that because his history shows that he has continued to serve the Lord. That's where we want to be. So Joshua represents, again, what we call the first generation in Israel. They are committed believers who know God and His power, and they're saved and they're on fire. You've heard those words. They abide in Christ. They abide in His Word. They understand good works, and they do them. They serve others, and they have a gospel vision in their heart. And to use a term I'm beginning to really like, they have developed a habitual devotion to the Lord and His Word. Well, the Bible speaks of obedience and our walk with God. We're to be spiritually oriented and people-centered with a heart and conviction for God. These are not new words for most of us. I know that. But that's what he's trying to put on. Joshua's clearly calling Israel to the same thing. He's calling them to obey and to serve God. In fact, he's telling them the Lord God of Israel is greater than all those idols out there. He wants them to recognize and understand that. But he's calling them to serve God with sincerity and truth. He's calling them to a deeper commitment, not a light commitment, if you will. So, we're going to step past verse 15 and really, I hope, bring this all together as we see him call them to covenant and worship with the Lord exclusively. And this exclusivity is very important. His statement, but as for me and my house, using that contrasting word but, gives us a sense that he's determined to stay the course no matter what. Um, you heard talk of persecution last week, Sunday school, many other places in this, as we've been going through uh, the book of Peter and different things that have been talked up here. As we face persecution, as we see what's going on in the world, I mean, imagine being a Ukrainian Christian right now, how you'd view all of this. Well, you're not going to change because of what they've said or what they've done. Or if you had been in Sunday school or if you know the story of Polycarp being martyred, no matter what martyr you think of, these people didn't change because they knew they were being persecuted. As believers, we need to make a decision to stand on we don't just say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That is where we are, period. Okay. Um, so Joshua's decision meant he had no hesitation with his decision. It meant that he lived above the evil influence of others. He was deep, calm, clear, fixed, well-grounded, and solemnly devoted to God. I love that line. And he made his decision openly. He carried it out earnestly, and he kept it out throughout his whole life. He stood for what he stood for, and it didn't matter what happened around him. So inherent in his decision, we will serve the Lord, is that he would serve the Lord only, and would not serve the Lord and someone or something else. He would exclusively serve the one true God. It ties directly into the exclusivity of the Lord we hear about in John 14, 6, where Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Or Luke in Acts 4.12, where he says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And as you may have heard recently, or at least 
up here once or twice in the last few months. This exclusivity, this belief in Christ, this claiming the gospel, it not only sets us apart, but many hold that against us. That shouldn't be a problem. We need to recognize that and, and grab it. Now Joshua is going to go on, and we look at verses 16 through 18. It says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it's the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land, and therefore we also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Sounds a lot like what the people said to Moses. A little bit different. But, um, well, their declaration is based on God's past dealings with them. They have seen Him. They are saying they trust Him. And the question comes, how could they not serve this God who had taken care of them to this point? And it had been so obvious it was Him taking care of them. Who else has shown that he truly loves and cares for them? What other God can claim exclusivity? He just can't. So then we look at 19 through 21, where Joshua cautions against a light or weak commitment. Much like what the author of Hebrews tells us when he says not to make light of so great a salvation. He says, but Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, He'll turn and do you harm and consume you, and having done you good, after having done you good. And the people said, Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua's not trying to discourage them having faith. He's trying to discourage them having a weak or uncommitted faith. Understand the difference in what he's saying out there. When he says... As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That's based on a strong, committed faith. So, they need to be reminded that they're serving God under a covenant that promised blessings of obedience and curses for disobedience. You know, Jesus gave the same kind of warning in Luke 14, 25 through 43 that required him to require total commitment from his people. And it wasn't that Jesus didn't want followers Again, he did not want lightly made and broken commitments. He wants you to believe in him and stay committed to him. And Joshua wanted the same commitment. So he goes to verses 22 through 28. This is kind of the end of where he, what he's trying to say to him. He says, Then Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, We're witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and he took a large stone and set it up under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. So Joshua required that there be a covenant 
as required in Deuteronomy 19.15. And it was the people and the stone that recognized the binding covenant with God. And the stone was sitting there for them to all see. And then right away in verse 23, he says, put away the foreign gods that are among you, incline your heart to the God of Israel. Here we are once again. These people are making a commitment to God and they're worshiping idols at the same time. Now, a number of commentators have talked about this, but there's a couple of things we've got to think about. First of all, it's necessary for them to act now because it's the same grace that moved in them to make the promise that will allow them to change, to repent, to get rid of these idols and turn. And let's look what um, Jesus is quoted as saying both in Matthew 6.24 and Luke 16.13. No man can serve two masters, which refers to God and anything else. Fill in anything you want to fill in. You can serve the one true God or you don't. That one's really simple, okay? So as we, got, as we come to the closing here, I want to reemphasize what happened to the other generations. Well, let's start. The first generation pledged to be committed to the covenant Moses had called them to obey. They understood their responsibility at that point was to teach the word to the next generations. They were to serve others and do the works they were called to do. And despite all of the possible consequences that would happen if after they said they would serve and they didn't, Somehow they fell short. Without commitment and continual teaching, the second generation became a generation of compromise. People who knew God but did not know His power. They had knowledge about the covenant, but without vision and desire, they began to compromise. They were shown, this compromise is shown by the return to the idols mentioned in verse 23. And they were called to put them away. Not just put them away, but get rid of them, okay? Well, in today's language, we'd refer to this head knowledge generation as carnal Christians or those that are lukewarm. They've heard, but they've not learned. They're in need of some sort of revival. And finally, we have a third generation, one that is overcome with conflict and confusion. This group doesn't know God or His power. They're not saved. They've not heard. They have no ability to begin to see a vision of the gospel. And it's unfortunate. Their passion is for the world. They are self-centered hedonists. That may sound harsh, but that's what they are. So here, let's take a quick peek at a last set of verses. Judges 2, 6 through 12, which identifies these generations. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord in all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. They represent generation one. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Harris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. This is generations one and part of generation two. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Generations two and three. Now, 
this message today is basically for our church and for our believers. It's all about Joshua speaking to the, to the Israelites in Canaan at the end of his life. But our message is threefold again. We must seek and know the Word of God. We need to obey and serve the Word of God. Put those two together, that's called abiding in the Word. Then we must worship the Lord exclusively. That's a direct result of abiding in the Word. And then as the Word also has told us, we have a responsibility to teach what we've learned to our children's children. Now, some would say I may have gone a different way. I should have spoken the specific gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ came and died on a cross for us. We're going to cover that in communion too. We also know that it's only through Christ that we can have salvation. It's only by His grace that salvation can come. And we need to fully understand that and we need to fully teach that to our children. And I'm going to use that term one more time because I've grown to love this. We've got to develop a habitual devotion to God and His Word. Something we should all take on. This is the only way we'll ever obey the command that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I know that um, this may seem in some cases a strong message. Father, it is clearly a message not just for the Israelites from Joshua. It is a message across time, easily. Joshua said this about 3,600 years ago, and there's a lot of truth. In fact, it's just about totally truth for us here today. And I pray that we'll grasp that. We will grasp our need to abide in you more and more and more. There's simply insufficient time for us to serve you well, but we are here to do what you call us to do, and we're not trying to add to that. We're not trying to take away from it. We want to give you glory, and you are here for that, and you deserve to be glorified. And we thank you for allowing us to come before you and allowing us to open your word like this. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name.